Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the broadcast. Please enjoy a couple of songs as we prepare for the sermon. Thank you. 
stay tuned for the sermon. the live services of I Saw the Light Ministries, I will share with you a short testimony and uh, a few more songs. And these other songs are very important because it goes along with the sermon and with the testimony of the divine power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last night when we went to bed, I did not know what I would preach today. I was very exhausted, went to bed early, and then today, sought the Lord. Of course, I had been praying yesterday for God to give me his word, his message, his topic for today. But today, this morning, when I got up, is when I sought more what to preach today. Because I don't really want to just choose something out of a hat. I really don't just want to just pick something of my own choosing. But rather, I always seek his word, his message of what he actually wants me to share with you, not what I think should be shared. So I went to bed last night not knowing what that would be for today. 
then later on today it became very clear that it is about that we should stand on the rock of Jesus Christ that he is the foundation the bedrock that we should stand on depend on and it gets even deeper than that because we're going to study Matthew 16 where the Catholic Church says that Jesus told Peter that he would build the church upon Peter, that Peter is that rock. But we know better than that because Jesus is that rock and not Peter. So we're going to study about the Greek words in Matthew 16 as well. And But then after I shared with my wife that that's going to be the topic for today, that I would like for her to uh, see if she can find some songs about Jesus being the rock. She later shared with me that when she woke up this morning, even before I knew what the sermon would be, before she knew and before I knew, either one of us knew, she woke up this morning with the song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand was in her mind as soon as she woke up this morning. On Christ the solid rock I stand was in her mind. Now that's not coincidence. And I do not serve coincidence. And I hope that you do not serve coincidence. We serve a living God. A God that is in control. A God that speaks. He is not a deaf mute. He is real and alive and speaking to his people. And he doesn't just speak to me and to my wife, but to you as well. And that's why I put on the newsletter notification, text messages, emails today, a few minutes ago, is will you please listen to Jesus today? Because I'm not here to share with you my word or my message or what I think should be preached today, but rather you are going to listen to Jesus Christ himself. And those people that listen every week, they know, they can testify to you that it is not my word that I share, but Jesus himself speaking through me. And people's like, how, you know, how can we believe that? They're like, they find that so hard to believe. But yet, it's not an unusual or uncommon thing to say. Every minister, every pastor in the whole world claims to hear from God, and not just the pastors, but even the lay members themselves. If you are a Christian, you should be hearing from God and claiming to hear from God. So I don't understand why people have such a hard time in believing that God speaks to me or my wife or to anyone else. I know that the world is filled with false ministers, false prophets, false dreams, and false visions, but that should not cause us to not believe that God still speaks. God is not dead, and he's not a deaf mute. If he spoke to Moses and Noah and Jeremiah and Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter, 
he can speak to you and me. God has not changed. He has not shut up. But a lot of people believe that God has shut up because they don't want to hear God. They don't want to hear God's voice, and they're actually preaching in these churches out here and on Facebook that God does not speak and that God does not have prophets and that God does not even have apostles anymore. Why are they teaching those things? They're teaching those things because they don't want to hear the voice of God, and the truth be told, they don't believe in God. Of course, they say they believe in God, they teach, they, they teach what seems to be the scriptures. They have congregations and churches, and they call themselves pastors, but they don't believe in God. And the reason I say they don't believe in God is because they don't believe God still speaks today. Therefore, they're just serving an imagination, but not the real and true living God. I tell you this, that atheists, who claim they don't believe in God, believes in God more than a lot of these ministers today who call themselves ministers but are not on Facebook that says there's no such thing as apostles and prophets anymore and that God's not speaking no more. An atheist actually does believe in God but hates God. But these, these false ministers who claim to believe in God, don't believe in God. They are the ones the Bible warns us about, that they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You should flee from anybody that says that you don't need a pastor, that we don't need prophets, that we don't need apostles. God does not change. He has always spoken to his apostles and his prophets, and it is still true today. And when you hear a message from God through a true pastor or a true apostle or a true prophet anywhere on this earth, you're not just hearing the voice of man, but the voice of God himself. So God did put this song in my wife's mind this morning, without me knowing it, and without her knowing the sermon, and without even me knowing the sermon at that moment. This is proof that God is real and that God speaks. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Please listen to these few songs, and we'll be back with today's sermon.
Okay, now let me get a couple more songs for you. I hope that you can hear this well. A wonderful Savior to me. Hide of my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows the bright earth. He hides my life in the depths of his love. And covers me there with his hand. And covers me there with his hand. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. He takes my burden away. He holds me up, and I shall not be moved. He gives me strength at my day. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows the right earth he led. He hides my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his head. With a numberless blessing, each moment he cries, and children his bullets divine. I sing in my rapture, oh glory to God, for the Redeemer has
Okay, let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have sent your word, your message for today. We ask, Father, that you help us to have spiritual ears to listen to and pay attention, believe, and to heed your word. Please help us to hear and understand your voice, Lord, and for us to not follow the false voices out there in the world. Let us not follow the woods and the hirelings, but only you, Father, and your true messages. May we always listen to your true word and not the fake word. We ask you, Father, to bless and anoint this service today from beginning to end. Have your way, Lord, and there be no hindrances to your word. We bind everything that tries to hinder this word today. And we accept your word into our hearts and our minds that we may have a true, sincere, and passionate relationship with you as our Father, as our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our kinsman Redeemer. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise God. We're going to start today in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, Matthew 16, and in case you you might be listening for the first time, uh, I am going to be reading from uh, the New American Standard Bible, but you can also feel welcome to follow along in the King James Bible, whatever Bible you may have in front of you, Um, I believe that New American Standard is more accurate than King James. And if that astonishes you or surprises you, or you're wondering why I say that, I encourage you to visit the website at isawthelightministries.com. Look for the article, the King James Version compared to the New American Standard, and compare the verses, one after another, after another, after another, and see for yourself and study for yourself and research for yourself and pray and fast in a sincere, passionate desire for the truth and be willing to humble yourself and change what you think and what you believe and be realigned to what God thinks, what God believes and what God declares to be true. Amen. Now, uh, you may be aware that I just came out with a a translation called the Alpha and Omega Bible. Uh, And I do encourage everybody to get a copy of that because that's even more accurate than the New American Standard Bible. But I'm not going to be preaching from the New American Standard Bible when I stand here at services every week because then people will say, well, you're preaching from your Bible. And that's what the people claim against the Seventh-day Adventists and the Catholics and the Jehovah Witnesses. And that is true with them. 
that they came out with their own Bibles that they twisted the words to make it fit their doctrine. But the truth about the Alpha and Omega Bible, I did not twist it to fit my doctrine, but rather I looked sincerely at the original words that were written and translated it correctly to what that Greek word means and not what I wanted to. And that's the difference. But because people are so quick to condemn and judge, I will not be preaching from that Bible. And for another reason is that all the different people that may be coming to the broadcast, they're not going to have a copy of that Bible yet. They don't even know that that Bible even exists, the Alpha and Omega Bible. So it's more profitable to teach them from a Bible that they've at least heard of and may have a copy of. And on the website, I saw the Light Ministries, I have all the articles written with quotations from the King James Version. And the reason I have that is because there is a lot of people all across the world, especially in the United States, that will only read the article and listen to you only if the quotations are from their sacred, beloved King James Version, which was written by William Shakespeare and King James' homosexual lovers and Freemasons that wrote it. And it has witchcraft name of Jehovah, which is Satan himself, that they worship. And it is the Bible of Babylon, of the people that serve three gods instead of one. And they on purpose uh, twisted the scriptures and added words and took away words and took away entire books of the Bible in order that you may believe in their three gods rather than in the one true God. Now that's your King James Version. But that the people may come to the truth. I will preach them and teach them from their Bible. Amen. But since I believe that there are some true believers listening to me right now, I will teach and read from a New American Standard Bible, which is more accurate. In Matthew 16, in verse 13, Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Cassia, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Talking about himself. Who do people say I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Now, when he said Christ, he wasn't saying you're just anointed. A lot of people would twist it to mean that, that that's all it means is the anointed. 
You're just a prophet. You're just a minister. You're just a teacher. But that's not what Paul meant. I mean, uh, Peter. That's not what Peter meant when he said, you are the Christ. Because that doesn't go along with the phrase, the son of the living God. Now, my last name is Carpenter, and if I had a son, he would be a carpenter as well. Amen? But he is the son of the living God. And if God has a son, then the son is also God. If a squirrel, if a squirrel has a squirrel, the squirrel is a squirrel. <laughs> if a rabbit has a rabbit, a rabbit is a rabbit because his dad is a rabbit. Amen? If a dog has a puppy, he's a puppy because his dad was a puppy. This is the son of the living God. His dad is God, therefore he is God. Amen? And Christ doesn't mean just anointed. It means God in the flesh. It can mean anointed or Messiah in some contexts, but in the context of you are the son of the living God. And what was in Peter's mind and heart was you are the Messiah. And the same word is translated as Messiah or Messiah in some verses and some translations, which means God come, that you are the God that has come, that was prophesied that come. This is what Peter meant. You are God. He wasn't just a teacher or a prophet like Elijah. He wasn't just a prophet like Jeremiah. He wasn't just a teacher or a human like John the Baptist. But he was God in the flesh like John said he was. Amen. And it says here, and Jesus said, verse 17, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, or Simon Barjula, which means uh, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. No. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to Peter, not anybody could say that Jesus was a teacher because he was definitely a teacher. Anybody could say that he was a prophet, even the Muslims, who are Satan worshipers, says that, that Jesus is a prophet. So that's a whole lot different from what Peter was saying. And a whole lot different than what Jesus was saying. Jesus saying that this was not a carnal knowledge or just something anybody could come up with. Man didn't teach Peter this. No, but my Father, who is in heaven. In verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, talking about himself, Upon me, upon myself, Christ was saying, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, which is the grave, will not overpower it. Not overpower the church, but also will not overpower his body from the grave. 
There's a whole lot in this verse that I've never heard anybody preach of any church, of any religion, or any denomination. What I share with you today, I have never been taught when I went to the Pentecostal churches, when I went to the Baptist churches, when I went to Worldwide Church of God churches, Regardless of any church, any, any religion, any denomination I've ever went to, I've never heard this preached, that the rock that Jesus built his church upon was not Peter, but himself that he was talking about. And what would the gates of hell not overcome was not only the church, but his own body. Now, let's take it one word at a time. The word Peter here is the Greek word Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, P-E-T-R-O-S. And it means just simply a rock. And it is basically a small rock. That's the word Peter. His name means rock. And so the Catholic Church and a lot of the other Babylonian sects jumps to a conclusion there. They look at one word, like they always do, one word, and jump to a conclusion, saying that Jesus is building the church upon Peter because he's the rock. But then they ignore the word rock here. Upon this rock, the word rock in this verse is a different Greek word, Petra, P-E-T-R-A, P-E-T-R-A, Petra. And we know that Petra is a name of a huge place in Jordan where people fled to when the Syrian army, under the control and influence and orders of the Roman Empire, when the Syrian army, under the Roman Empire, invaded Jerusalem in 70 AD, the people fled to Petra, into the mountains, which had caves, and it's still there today, and you can visit it, a giant rock with caves where people hid from the Syrian army. But Jesus wasn't saying that I'm building my church upon those caves, but rather that that location and the word rock both means mountain or large rock. It's similar to the other word, petros, meaning rock, but petra means large rock or mountain or bedrock foundation. It can mean either one of those. It can mean mountain, large rock, or bedrock foundation. And because Jesus is building his church upon that large rock, then the context shows 
that the word rock should really be translated bedrock or bedrock foundation. Now, Peter is not the bedrock. Peter is not the foundation. Peter is not the mountain. Because if you allow Scripture to translate itself and read the entire Bible instead of one verse in one word, but read all of it from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, then you would understand that Jesus is the head, the cornerstone, the chief rock, the foundation, the bedrock of the church. Amen. And I'll give you a few of those verses. But before I do, let's examine this verse a little bit more. The word Hades here in King James is translated as hell because the Catholic Church and the Church of England wanted you to believe and jump to a conclusion that it's saying a burning hell would not conquer the church, which is true as well. But Jesus was not referring to a burning hell in this particular verse. Because if he had been referring to a burning hell in this verse, he would have used the word Jehina or Jehana or Valley of Hinnom, which was where they threw their trash at, where they burnt their trash 24 hours a day. And sometimes they would throw dead animals in there, and even criminals would be thrown in that lake of fire in the Valley of Hinnom called Jehina or Jehana which the place still exists today, but now has picnic tables and trees and grass. But Jesus always used that word Jehina or Johanna to refer to a burning hell. But King James translated four different Hebrew and Greek words into the one word hell, which is stupid. Amen. It's stupid to translate four different Hebrew and Greek words with different meanings into one English word. But, you know, they didn't really do that out of stupidity, and they really did not do that out of ignorance, but on purpose to deceive the people. So a new American standard is more correct by leaving the word Hades in the Bible, because they wrote the word Hades. Matthew, when he wrote this verse, wrote the word Hades. He didn't write the word hell. But Hades is not a burning place. Hades is the grave. Now, New American Standard chose to not translate the word, but keep the original word in it. But if you was to translate the word, the translation would be the grave that the grave will not overpower it. When he said that, he was talking about his own body, that he would be risen from the dead after three days and three nights. That's exactly what he was talking about. So when you understand that, then you also understand automatically that the rock that he's talking about, that he built his church upon, is himself. Amen. Jesus built the church upon himself. He didn't build his church upon Peter, 
who denied him at least nine times that I know of because the Babylonian church, which is the Baptist church and the Catholic church and the Pentecostal church and all the other churches, they say that Peter denied Christ three times. Why do they say that instead of nine? Because they only know one verse of the Bible, a verse here and a verse there. And they don't get deep in the word of God. And look at all the other times that, that Peter denied Christ. Peter denied Christ over and over and over and over and over. I could count at least nine times that he denied Christ. Something else I've never heard in those churches of man is that when he denied Christ, when the rooster crowed those three times, he even swore and cursed you know Peter cursed? He did. But I've never heard anybody say that or teach that. But the Bible says it. You can look it up sometime. Write it down in your notes and look it up. That Peter not only denied Christ, but he also even cursed and swore, swore that he did not know Jesus. That's pretty bad. And Paul even rebuked Peter to his face one time. And another time, Jesus even called Peter Satan. Said, Satan, get behind me. Or something like that that he said to Peter. So, no. God did not found his church on Peter. Now, thankfully, Peter did repent, as the Bible says, that God granted permission to the devil to tempt Peter and to uh, do other things to Peter, and Satan did work through Peter, according to the Bible, but Peter repented. And Peter went on to write the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and he died a very faithful servant of God, and he will be in the kingdom. We all make mistakes, and a lot of us have denied Christ one way or another. But no, God did not found the church upon Peter. Now, what Jesus was saying to Peter is, You are the servant. You are the small rock. You are a member of the church. As we are all members individually, different members. You are the servant. I am the head. I am the founder. I am the foundation. And I will build my church upon myself as you being a member of this church and even a leader of this church. But not the leader, only a leader. Verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, the Catholic Church uses that verse, 19, to say that that proves that God did, did give Peter the, the first uh, uh, apostleship and gave him to be uh, the Pope, the first Pope, which is a lie, because Peter was never part of the Catholic Church. 
much less the leader of the Catholic Church. Because the fact is, if we read all of the Bible, he said the same thing to the other disciples. Did he not? Absolutely he did. Amen. Research it yourself. Jesus said the same thing to the other disciples. Now, they couldn't have all been the Pope all at the same time. And the Catholic Church does not even claim that Matthew was ever a Pope or that Luke was ever a Pope. But yet Jesus said it to all of them. And in fact, he says it to us too. But you're not a Pope and I'm not a Pope. But Jesus even said this to us, that whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. The fact is, Jesus gives that same power to you and to me. Amen. So no, there's nothing about these verses that proves that Peter was a pope. Nothing. Amen. I'd like to also point out to you that the rock is not Ellen White. Amen. The rock is not Ellen White, and the rock is not Herbert W. Armstrong. Amen. And the rock is not Pastor Tim. And the rock is not your local pastor. But the rock is Jesus Christ. But I know for a fact that the seven-day events make Ellen White out to be the rock, even though they don't say that. But if you look at their fruit, their words, their writings, their teachings, their doctrines, they are definitely worshiping Ellen White and making her out to be the rock of the church. In fact, the the Seventh-day Adventist church is founded and based upon Ellen White as equally or more so than Jesus. And they make her words out to be just as authoritative and more authoritative than Jesus in many cases. And the Philadelphia Church of God and the Living Church of God and the United Church of God and all those sects and cults that came out of the Worldwide Church of God, they're guilty of the same thing of worshiping Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, even though I do honor him and respect him and believe that he was a true apostle. But he wasn't right on everything. No, he wasn't. Just as Peter was not right on everything and Paul wasn't right on everything. They were not Jesus. Paul is not Jesus. Peter is not Jesus. Man can be wrong. Even when he's a true servant of God, he can be wrong. Even when he's a true prophet of God, even when he's a true apostle of God, he is still a man and could be wrong. Amen. But Jesus was without sin and without fault and was never wrong. Amen. Now let's look at chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So we need to examine ourselves. Is our doctrines and our beliefs and our religion and the church we go to every week 
Is it built and founded upon some woman or some man or upon Jesus Christ and his word and his doctrine, his messages? Is your pastor preaching to you every week what he decided to preach and teach or what God decided that he would preach and teach. And is the doctrines you believe in and the religion and denomination you believe in, do you believe those things and that religion and that denomination because that is what God believes or what your church believes or what your mommy and daddy believe? You believe it because your beliefs are based upon the foundation of mommy and daddy. God, I hope not. What if our mommy and daddy had been Muslim or Hindu? We don't base what we believe. We should not base what we believe upon what some human Believes, Amen. And as much as much as we love and respect and honor our parents and our ministers and our pastors and our leaders and Paul and Peter, we still must put God first. Jesus is the head of the church, and He did appoint us apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. And we should honor them and respect them and obey them. But we obey God first, above all. And believe God first, above all. And we need to examine ourselves, why we believe, what we believe. And really, really test and examine ourselves. Amen. Matthew 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, says Jesus, and acts on them. It's not enough to just be a hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word, James said, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead being alone, James said, and James was the brother of Jesus Christ. Amen. James knew his brother's teachings, Amen. Jesus said that you must also act upon his words. But yet all these churches out there are preaching against doing any works. And I've seen them on Facebook over and over and over. Back when I used to spend a lot of time on Facebook, I saw people on Facebook all the time saying, you don't have to do anything. That's what the Baptist Church says. I mean, that's their motto of the Baptist Church. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe. But you can be a couch potato Christian, not lift your hand to do anything. Oh, yeah, and you're still saved. Well, that's baloney. Amen, that's baloney. But Jesus said, if you hear these words, and act on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on 
the rock, not just any rock, but the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now I guarantee you that if the church or religion or belief or doctrine is based upon Peter, that rock's going to fall. Or based upon Ellen White, that house is going to fall. Amen. Or upon Jehovah Witnesses' doctrine, it's going to fall. It must be based only upon Jesus. Amen. Now, a man can point us in the right direction. The scriptures are clear that he does give us apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We should not deny that or reject that or rebel against it. But the true apostles, the true apostles, the true prophets, the true pastors will point you to Jesus Christ and not be based upon their own word. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, just a couple weeks ago or so, God gave us the message in the sermon that he said seven times in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, that whosoever have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So here it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, like the Baptist church would like for you to do, to not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. This is what the Baptist church wants you to do. Build your house on the sand. Then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. You can compare that to Revelation 18, the fall of Babylon, and the greatest the fall thereof. Amen. So Babylon, the city and the religion, is based upon a faulty rock. A small rock, a pebble, and not upon Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you allow the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit of God to speak into you. Then I believe also that this, these verses very much in the spiritual realm of God who is a living God and still speaks today that is not limited to a black and white paperback or black and white hardback that speaks in our minds and our hearts, and if you have a spiritual here to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, that if you had a house in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and that fire was flaming all around you, that if your house had been built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, it would not have burnt down. Amen. I know for a fact, and I can testify, that back when I lived in a tent and I lived in a tent seven years winter, summer, spring, fall all year round 
I lived in a tent for seven years. In the last year or two, my wife Brittany was living with me. How long? Three years. She says, not one, not two, but three years she lived in a tent with me. And for a woman to live in a tent, that's something. That's pretty incredible, I believe. And I know she gives the glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. And I give the glory to Jesus Christ as well. Because I know that God protected us. She can testify to that as well. Even when the winds were raging so hard. And I know that Sister Lisa, that listens every week, that she can testify to the fact that one time years ago that she was listening to the services live or perhaps in the rebroadcast, she was listening to the services and she could hear over the phone, the wind, how powerful and extreme that wind was and how heavy the rain was beating against our home, our house, our tent. And in fact, I had to make that the shortest broadcast that we had ever done as far as services. Because I had to go out and hold a tent down. And there was many times that I would have to go out and nail the, the stakes back into the ground and the wind would pull it back up again and I would stake the tent down again and put cement blocks upon cement blocks upon cement blocks down all the way around the tent. Cement blocks stacked on top of cement blocks all the way around the tent. And the wind would blow the cement blocks down. But the tent was not blown away even though the tent was lifting in the air at places with us inside and all of our belongings and even my cat, poor baby. And it was scary at times. And another scary time was when I woke up to like a sound of a gun or explosion or something. I, and I, I hit the floor. <laughs> Who's shooting at me? And I looked out the window of the tent and a truck had slammed into a tree right there on my campsite. It had gone off the main road out of control and slammed right toward my tent. But God diverted it and slammed it into the tree instead. And the time that the storm called, uh, what was the name of it, the dragon storm, Dracula or something like that, that, that storm picked up uh, another tent, which was the tent we was having services in, had been having services in, and it was a huge tent with a metal frame, and that storm picked up that tent with the metal frame and bent and twisted the metal frames and threw it at the tent I was living in, and God stopped it at just a couple of feet or so from my head or where my head would have been laying if I had been in the tent at the time. And many other times. In fact, many times they would be calling a tornado warning and severe thunderstorm warnings 
and I would be on my phone where I could watch the satellite and the, I mean, radar, and I would watch the big blob of uh, bright red storms getting closer and closer and closer and closer to me, and then when it got right there, right there, within just yards of my tent, the storm would disappear off the radar over and over and over again. That the storms would just disappear. Sometimes they would go around to the north or to the south. Sometimes there would be just one dry spot on the radar right over my tent. That storms all the way around. God is real. And he can do the same thing for you as what he has done for us over and over and over. These things are not just my imagination. Do you really believe in God? Because if you do really, really believe in God, then these things are nothing in comparison with the things you're going to see in the future. Amen. And God that we serve today is the same God that Moses served and Noah served. I don't see why this is so hard to understand or so hard to believe. God's real. Do we believe it or not? Amen. If we had been, now, uh, my wife and I was living in Gatlinburg only one year ago. And God moved us uh, to where we're at now a year ago, exactly, December the 4th. December 4th. And those fires that just killed 14 people and destroyed over a 1,000, maybe over 1,400, maybe over 1,700 houses and hotels and churches and cars and so forth, was only somewhere between a half a mile to two miles from where our tent used to be. Anywhere from only a half a mile to two miles. I'm not going there and looked at it myself. But estimating from what people told me and from the maps I've seen online, only about a half a mile to two miles of where our tent was. But God took us away from it. God took us away from that place. And it's no coincidence that it was only exactly one year ago that God removed us from that. And it was no coincidence that we had services in our new ministry building on the day of Hanukkah, and I didn't even know it was Hanukkah. It wasn't Hanukkah in Tennessee, but it was Hanukkah in God's eyes because God sees the entire earth, and it was already Hanukkah in the first time zone on land in the Pacific Ocean. And God, looking down upon the earth, saw all time zones all at the same time, and it was Hanukkah in his eyes. Amen. And we was dedicating the house of God. God is real. And he is the solid rock. Upon, we, much, upon, upon that we need to build our faith and our foundation. That no matter how much the wind blows or how much fire there is all around us or if there's a tornado or a hurricane or army or a flood or earthquake, that if God so chooses to protect us, then he will protect us. 
and he has that ability. Amen. And there is nothing too hard for God and nothing impossible for God. I told a man years ago that back when I was struggling with pornography that every time I would look at pornography that God would strike my car the very next morning that it wouldn't start or if it did start, I would get broke down on the side of the road or something. Something would happen to my car the exact next day, every time, every time, every time. I told a man that. He said, no, God can't do that. God wouldn't do that. He, he, he was like, do you really believe that God would, like, touch his finger upon your engine of your car? He's like, God doesn't do that because you know why he said that? Because he doesn't really believe in God, even though he claims to be such a Christian. But that's actually a lot of so-called Christians have that attitude. Well, God can't do that. Well, they don't serve a living God. They must be serving a statue or an imagination. But I serve a living God. Amen. And I thank God that he did deliver me from pornography. And I thank God for every time that he tore up my car. I thank God every time he did it. Because we need to be grateful and thankful when God chastises us and corrects us. Instead of blaming God, instead of hating God, instead of turning against God, we should thank God for when he spanks us. Thank you for correcting me and setting me straight that I may live right and correct and have a a good relationship with you and make it into the kingdom. Amen. Now look at chapter 27, Matthew 27. Verse 60. And also, we should ask to be spanked. <laughs> Children are like, like, no, I'm not going to ask to be spanked. But we should ask God to correct us, to chastise us. If we truly, truly, really, really want to serve him and get right with him and live right and make it into the kingdom, the fullness thereof, then we should ask God to correct us, chastise us. Because the Bible says that he chastises those that he loves. Amen. And we need that correction. And that is why I put on the newsletter over and over and over that we need to be praying for judgment to come upon the wicked, upon the nations, upon the governments, upon the United States, upon France, upon Israel. We need to be praying in the judgments because he chastises those that he loves. And we need the correction. 
And if we are ever, ever going to see repentance in the land, in the people, then we need those judgments to come. Matthew 27, verse 30, uh, 60, verse 60, Matthew 27, verse 60, and laid it in his own tomb. Look back to verse 59, even verse 58, let's start in verse 58. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph, the rich man, uh, took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, and which he had hemmed out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. That word rock there in Greek is the same Greek word, petra, T-E-T-R-A, that means a large rock, a bedrock, a stone foundation upon which Jesus built his church, meaning that this shows and proves that this is not a pebble that it's talking about, but a mountainside, a huge rock that the tomb had been carved into where Jesus was laid. So that word rock there in that verse, the same word as in Matthew uh, 16, shows that it's about a, a large rock, a mountainside, and God is the mountain. We'll read some verses here where it shows that uh, that it refers to the kingdom of God as a mountain and so forth, and even Jesus as a mountain. Jesus is not a pebble, but he is a mountain and a foundation, solid bedrock. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. One Corinthians ten verse one says, "For I do not want you to be unaware, or it should say, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our fathers, forefathers, Moses and Noah, all of them, talking actually about Moses and the, the Israelites, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses, not into Jesus." but into Moses, which does no good. It might have done some good at the time, but in eternity, that's not good enough. John's baptism is not good enough. Paul said you need to be baptized into Jesus' name, not in John. So Moses' baptism was not enough, but it was a starter, and it was a foreshadowing of something that we actually do need, which is the baptism of Jesus, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them or came later in time. And the rock 
was Christ. Wow. It's the rock, Peter. Read this, Catholic Church. Read this. But the Catholic Church doesn't want you to read this verse because they would prove their doctrine wrong. All these cults, false churches, are based on one verse theology. They don't want you to read the other verses. Christ is the rock. But, verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, even though they all passed through the Red Sea, most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low, destroyed, cut to death in the wilderness. Amen. So it's not good enough to just be baptized in Moses or in John or even in Jesus. It's not good enough to just be baptized. We must love God, obey God, really believe and trust in God. And that was the problem with the Israelites. No matter how many miracles they saw, and they saw grand miracles, they still didn't really believe in God. Oh, it's just a cloud. It's coincidence. Because if they had really believed in God, then they would have believed that they was going to be okay, that they was going to be safe, that God was going to provide for them, that God would have gave them uh, food and drink, even if uh, he had not sent the manna and the quail when he did. He probably would have sent much better food if they had not been so unbelieving. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 3 that their problem was they did not believe. So you can see miracles and still not believe. That was the problem with the Israelites. And that's the same problem with everybody today in our modern society. Yeah, it's just coincidence. It's just a cloud. It's not God. It's just your word, not the word of God. That was their attitude of Moses. It's just your word. Who who has put you over us, they said. They didn't believe the word of Moses. They did not believe the word of Moses. Even Jesus told the Pharisees that if you believed the word of Moses, then you would believe in me. I tell you, there's a lot of Pharisees today. Think they know the Bible. Think they believe in God. And they don't. Let's read Exodus 17. Exodus chapter 17. Verse 1. Exodus 17, verse 1 says, 
Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, that was the name of it, according to the command of G, the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quired, argued, debated, complained, murmured with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you murmur, complain, choir with me? Why do you test G? Why do you test tempt Jesus, God? Verse 3, but the people thirsted, there was no water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us? They thought they were going to die, starve to death. They did not believe that God was strong enough. They did not believe God was faithful enough. They didn't believe God. They did not trust God. They did not have faith in God to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to G, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. Then G said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you uh, some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile River and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Hard. Can't pronounce it, but it's also know the word for Mount Sinai. And you and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Now we know that Jesus said that He is the water of life, and that if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He told the woman at the well that he is the water of life, of eternal life. That water that came from that rock was a symbol. It was, it was literal water that they literally drank. It was a literal rock, literal water, but it had a symbolism meaning to it that it foreshadowed that we need to drink from the water that comes from the rock. In other words, we need to drink, receive into us the living waters, the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ, that we need to receive Jesus Christ into us, that we need to take communion of the water, of the actually of the wine, which also represents his Holy Ghost, the spirit of him that was crucified, that died, but is alive. That's why we call him the Holy Ghost, because ghost means a person that died but is not dead, but is alive. But he's not a wicked ghost or evil ghost, but he's holy, clean, righteous, almighty God. Amen. Now, on the Alpha and Omega Bible, there is a picture of water flowing over rocks. And that is the picture that's on the cover of the Alpha and Omega Bible that God chose to put on his life to represent him. 
that he is on the cover. Of course, it's only a symbolism of him. And he is the rock and the water. Amen. He is the source of life and the foundation of life. Amen. All that was symbolism. But today we can actually know God. Amen. Now let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Over there close to the book of Revelation. One Peter chapter two verse eight. One Peter chapter two verse eight. And a stone, meaning a foundation, a big rock of stumbling, and a rock of offense for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word going back to verse let's go to verse um, 4 verse 4 this is Peter writing this the one that Jesus said to you are the small rock you are the pebble and upon myself the big rock the foundation stone I will build my church and the gates of hell I mean the gates of the grave will not hold my body down. The gates of the the, uh, the grave will not prevail over me, over it. Verse 4 says, And come unto him as to a living stone. Talking about Jesus, that we are to come to him, that he is a living stone, which has been rejected by men. Amen. But it's choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as a living stones, living pebbles, small rocks, even as Peter was a small rock, we are small rocks, we are individual members of him, are being built up as a spiritual house, God is building a house, God is building a temple, which are the church, is the church, for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices because we no longer have to kill goats and lambs, even though a lot of the Hebrew roots are teaching that we still have to do circumcision. They, they're teaching that we still have to do sacrifices. The Jews are teaching you still have to do sacrifices. The Hebrew roots are teaching more and more and more that you've got to do the sacrifices. But no, our sacrifices are spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for this is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, meaning Jerusalem, a choice stone, meaning like a diamond or like gold, a precious cornerstone. A cornerstone holds everything together. What the church is built upon, the foundation, what holds it together, is talking about Jesus. Peter understood what Jesus meant, or at least eventually figured it out by the time he wrote this. See, if we read Matthew 16, where it says, upon this rock I will build my church, 
then we must also read these verses. But no, the Catholic Church and the Baptist Church don't want you to read these verses because these verses explain Matthew 6. And they don't want that. Again, they have one verse theology. But these verses explain Matthew 16. Jesus is that cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Peter didn't say, if you believe in me. But if you believe in him. Verse 7, this precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, uh, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very corner stone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. In other words, Jesus himself is the stumbling block for the Jews, and for the Hebrew roots, and for the Jehovah Witnesses, and the seven-day Adventists, and the Hebrew roots cults. Yes, a lot of people stumble over porn. A lot of people stumble over cussing and other sins and other sins and other sins. But you know what most people stumble over more than anything else? Jesus. Amen. Jesus. There's a whole sermon in this as well, that just because you stumble over something doesn't always mean that it must be removed. Now, of course, pornography must be removed. Cussing must be removed. Sin of every type must be removed. But there are some things that we stumble with that we ain't got right yet. Some simple, or not necessarily simple, but some imperfections, and even some perfections that we stumble over. I won't really get into that very deep right now, but maybe you could think about it. Maybe God will show you what I mean uh, until we get into a, a whole sermon on that sometime when God's ready for that. But God can show it to you without me. Uh, I'm going to make a note on this. That there are some things that we stumble over which should not be removed. For example... Paul sought Jesus three times to remove the thorn from his flesh. Now that thorn in Peter's I mean Paul's flesh was not sin. It was a physical sickness. It was, according to the Bible. And even though Paul prayed to God to be healed, all three times Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
And Paul thanked God for not healing him and gloried in his sickness. And took it for a fact that he had that sickness to humble him, to help him, not to hurt him, not as a result of sin, but to help him, to continue to seek God, to cry out to God, to seek God, to help him realize, hey, he's only human. That as much as Paul knew and as much as Paul understood, Paul understood the deep, really, 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 really deep things of God. Now, that can make a man very proudful. It can. And so his physical weaknesses helped to keep Paul humble. So we need to be thankful, as I preached recently, when God does not answer yes to your prayers. Be thankful for the unanswered prayers. Be thankful for the no's because God knows what is best for us. And be thankful for some of the things that we stumble over and not all of it has to be removed. Not every physical sickness has to be removed. Not every physical sickness is of the devil. And there's even some of our temptations that we need. Some of them. And I get more into that sometimes. But going back to this verse here, that Jesus was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We don't need to get rid of Jesus. We just need to embrace Jesus. And Paul needed to embrace his sickness that that was God's will for him in order to humble him and keep him humble. The Jehovah Witnesses need to embrace Jesus as God. Seventh-day Adventists need to do that. The Hebrew Roots cults need to do that. And the Hebrew Roots cults and the Jews need to do that and to embrace Jesus' name and throw those Y Assyrian devil names out the window and embrace Jesus' name. Amen. And it says here they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed, which does not mean that they can't repent. But it means God saw their heart from the beginning. Verse 9, that you, you that are listening today, you are a chosen race. God has chosen you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, of G. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Praise God. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Verse 15. Revelation 6, verse 15. Talking about in our day, in our time, 
in the days just before Jesus comes back, this is what we're going to see happen upon this earth. Revelation 6, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, talking about the presidents and the prime ministers of the earth, and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Now, they're not hiding themselves in a little rock or in a pebble, but in the mountainside of the earth, Patra and different places and caves throughout the world that people are going to be hiding. And we know for a fact that the governments have already built underground uh, shelters and, and, and shelters in the mountainsides and in the caves all across the earth. We know that they're preparing these places that is talking about right here. Prophecy is coming true right in front of our eyes. And they said to the mountains and to these giant rocks of the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. We know that's impossible. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Who's able to stand? Who's able to stand? I tell you who's able to stand. I tell you who will not fall. As when the earth shakes and the wind comes and the fire comes and the floods come and when the armies come, I tell you who will stand. The people of God. The army of God that marches around Jericho. Amen. The army of God will stand. We need to make for sure that we are in the cleft of the rock of Jesus Christ. Some of us are ordained and appointed to hide in caves. But we're not going to hide in caves because we're fearful. But rather we're going to be in caves, some of us, because that's where God wants us to go. Even as God told Elijah, to stand in the cleft of the rock. God will tell certain people, go such and such place, such and such a location, and such and such, such a time. And pe- God's people will not fear, will not flee out of fear, but rather because God tells them to go. Amen. Our safety is not in guns or swords or bombs. Our safety is not in the military. Our safety is not on a door alarm. Our safety is Jesus Christ. Even though God does expect some of us to prepare extra food, extra toilet paper, extra band-aids, extra medical supplies, for ourselves or for others. Our ultimate refuge and hope and strength is in Jesus Christ. Amen. The whole seven years that I was in the tent, I did not have a gun. Did not have a gun did not need a gun. 
God protected. And think of the three young Israelite men that got thrown into the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. They said, basically, God will protect us. But if he does not protect us, he will rise us from the dead. Even in the book of Maccabees, when Antiochus threw uh, or made the whole family, the whole family endure torture, torture, and tore their arms off their body and their skin off their body in, I believe, four Maccabees. They obeyed God and did not deny God a point on their deathbed that said, said that God would raise him from the dead. Peter mentioned that, I believe. And uh, I believe the three Hebrew men mentioned that. And the Maccabees, I believe, mentioned that. So God doesn't always protect us, but we trust him for protection. And if he chooses to protect us, praise God. And if he chooses not to protect us, praise God. Whether we live or we die, we live to Christ and we die to Christ. He is the source, the rock, our foundation of joy, of peace, of comfort. Drugs is not our foundation of joy and peace. Drugs is not our source of peace and happiness and joy and comfort and to relieve our nervousness. Not drugs. And not uh, rock and roll music. Not marijuana. Marijuana is for losers. Marijuana is for potheads, druggies, Satanists. Marijuana is not for any saint of God. But many times I have received emails or talked to people in person who who said they think that Jesus would have smoked pot or that it's okay for us to smoke pot. These people don't know God. They don't know God because if they knew God, they would know that pot is for losers. Amen. Our source of joy, peace, comfort is from God himself. Amen. Now look at Daniel 2. Daniel chapter 2. and We'll be closing here shortly. Daniel chapter 2. And I hope that you have an ink pen and paper because I'm going to give you some homework. I know you love this kind of homework, some scriptures to look up there at home. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 2, I might give you some scriptures. We'll see. Daniel 2, verse 31. Daniel 2, verse 31. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, You, O king, 
were looking in this dream, and behold, there was a single great statue or image. And that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, precious stones, but a counterfeit of Jesus, because Jesus is the precious stone. This is a counterfeit Jesus. The whole statue is of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, Nebuchadnezzar, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, and its chest and its arms of silver, and its belly and its thighs of bronze, and its feet, that is, legs, uh, legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you continued looking until a stone, God, Jesus, and his kingdom. This stone or this mountain represents Jesus and the and the and the kingdom of Jesus. Until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue of the Antichrist of false religion, of uh, false Christ, of false religion, of the kingdoms of this world, struck it the statue on its feet in the end times. The feet represents the last kingdom on earth before Jesus. The feet of iron and the clay and crushed them. Jesus is going to crush the kingdoms of this world. Our hope is not in rebuilding the United States or uh, preserving the United States or making America great again. These patriots, these patriots, the rebels, and the people that want to make America again, it's all in vain. You're trying to build your house upon a pebble. You're trying to build your house upon sinking sand, on a false hope, and all of it is vanity. These governments of the world, including Israel and the United States, states must fall, must be crushed. And we should be praying for this to happen. And it's going to happen whether we want it to or not or pray for it or not. So, just like Paul, it may not be natural to the carnal man to be thankful for your sickness. But Paul was thankful for his sickness because he knew it was what he needed. So it may not be natural to the carnal sinful man to pray for judgment and pray to be spanked. But for the spiritual man, for the servant of Jesus Christ, for the friend of God? Yeah, spank me, Lord. Realign me. Realign my heart and my thoughts, even if you have to tear up my car to do it. Do whatever it takes, Lord, to get me realigned to the center of your will. Do whatever it takes to save my brother. Do whatever it takes to save this person and that person. If it takes throwing them in jail... If it takes slamming their car against a wall, if it takes slamming their car into a tree, or sending a person to prison, or giving them a heart attack, Lord, whatever it takes to save this person, whatever it takes to get me in line with your will and your spirit, whatever it takes to save my family, whatever it takes, Lord, because I know this flesh and blood is nothing. It's going to die anyway. This flesh and blood is not what it's about. Saving this flesh is not what it's about. Saving this flesh is not what it's about. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. He just touched me. Amen. Thank you, Father. Praise your holy name. If this flesh and blood, if it dies in a fiery furnace or on a torture chamber, we are not to seek to preserve this body. And we are not to seek to preserve the United States. It must be destroyed. That the kingdom of God will come in. This is not the message you would hear from the church of Babylon. Amen. Because the church of Babylon wants to wave the American flag. And the church of Babylon wants you to hold your hand on your heart and pledge your allegiance to that piece of paper or piece of linen fabric. But I refuse to pledge allegiance to a dying nation that must be destroyed for the kingdom of God to come in. I must say goodbye to this flesh. I must say goodbye to this nation to welcome in my king. Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. And in verse 35, Daniel 2, verse 35, then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold, all the precious stones of this earth, all your money and your jobs and your houses and your lands and your careers, all going to be consumed by the kingdom of God. And you must be willing to give all of it up. Amen. This is why it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, because he don't want to give up his iron and his clay and his bronze and his silver and his gold. He'd rather keep those things. But God's going to come and take away those things that we refuse to get rid of. That we don't want to let go of. Because people don't want to say that bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. People don't want to say that bold prayer. They want to hold on to the money and their jobs and their houses and their careers. And they want to hold on to their girlfriend who is corrupting them. And they want to hold on to that person and that person and that person who is corrupting them and holding them back and hindering them. Because they love man and the flesh and the things of the flesh more than they love God. It says in verse 35, then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed, all of them at the same time. See, people don't understand that it's not just the feet and the toes that stand in when Jesus comes, it's the whole statue. All of it was crushed when Jesus comes. Even the head of gold still exists. Babylon is still here. The head of gold didn't go away when the chest and the arms came. We didn't have a headless man walking around. We didn't have a headless statue during the Persian Empire. During the Persian Empire. The head didn't disappear when the Persian Empire came. The head was still there. It was still a Babylonian empire. It was still an Assyrian empire because Nebuchadnezzar was an Assyrian. Nebuchadnezzar 
was Assyrian. Nebuchadnezzar's dad was an official in the Assyrian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar's dad was an Assyrian official in the Assyrian government in the Assyrian Empire and committed a coup and overthrew the Assyrian government from within by the help of the Egyptians and and just renamed the empire. But the Babylonian Empire was the Assyrian Empire. The Babylonian Empire was the Assyrian Empire. And the Persian Empire was the Assyrian Empire. And the Greek Empire was the Assyrian Empire. And the Roman Empire is, to this day, still the Assyrian Empire. And the Roman Catholic Church, to this very day, if you take the mask off of the Catholic Church, if you take the mask off the Pope, it is the Assyrian Empire. If you take the mask off the Baptist Church and the Pentecostal Church and the Lutheran Church and the Jehovah the Witness Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church and all the churches of mankind, every one of them. You take the mask off. It is the Assyrian Antichrist statue. Christmas, Easter, all of it is Assyrian. These churches that people worship must cease to exist. God has not called us to follow a religion of Judaism or this or that ism or that ism or that ism, but him, him. That's why he wants us to serve him. I do not belong to any church, any religion, any denomination on earth. I belong to Jesus. Amen. Verse 35 again. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed at the same time and became like chaff. Because there's a lot of chaff people in the church. It's a false religion. The chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone, God's kingdom, Jesus, the living stone, that struck the statue became a great mountain, mountain, huge mountain, and filled the whole earth. The kingdom of God will, thank God, control the whole earth. And it will not be a democracy, praise God, because people that vote, they vote for Hillary Clinton. People that vote, vote for fools, and sin, and abortion, and that sin, and that sin, and that sin, and that sin. No, it won't be a democracy. It will be a theocracy of a king, the king, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Judaism is not the rock that we should seek. And the Torah is not the rock that we should seek. The Hebrew roots people are the Torah, the Torah, the Torah, the Torah, the Torah. 
and when they're not focusing and bowing down and worshiping the Torah, then they're bowing down and worshiping uh, their Jewish dress and their Jewish headscarf and their prayer cloth and this and that and this and that and this and that and their letters and their words and their let's talk Jewish today and let's learn this Jewish word and let's act like this and let's be a Jew. Sickening. Let's act and look and talk like Jesus Christ. And yes, he was a Jew, but he did not believe nor teach Judaism. There's a big difference. Amen. Jesus did not teach any religion. Moses did not teach any religion, not Judaism. Moses and Noah and all the apostles and prophets were never partakers in Judaism compared to what you read all over the Internet and even in the churches of man. None of the apostles, none of the prophets, and not even Jesus ever, 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 ever partook in Judaism, except for Paul. And maybe the disciples before Jesus called them, but after they came to Jesus, they left Judaism. Paul said that in Galatians 1, that he left Judaism. Judaism is not the rock. Judaism is not the way. And your religions are not the way. Amen. Instead of giving you homework, I'm going to blow your mind. Look at Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27. This is going to blow your mind. I know it blew my mind when God showed it to me today. Isaiah 27. Praise G. Al-Eluji. is the true Hebrew word for praise God. Not hallelujah. El-Eluji. El-Eluji. You can read about that, study about that on the website at isawthelightministries.com. Look for the article, What is the Name of God? And I know that article is huge. I know that article that goes on for days. I know it's going to take days and days and days to read that article. I try to make it as short as possible, but God just keeps giving me more. And that's good. Amen. In Isaiah 27, verse 13, Isaiah 27, verse 13, it will come about, not maybe, it will come about, praise G, L-E-L-E-G, also in that day that a great trumpet, talking about the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, we and the saints are going to be caught up into heaven, Revelation 11 and Revelation 19 and Revelation 10, 11 and 19. It says right here that a great trumpet, also 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, all throughout the Bible it talks about this great trumpet, that seventh trumpet, that last trumpet that they blew uh, on the seventh uh, day uh, at Jericho. That great trumpet will be blown. 
And those who were perishing in the land of Syria, Assyria, and who were scattered in the land of Egypt, will come and worship G, is what it originally said, in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. This is an amazing, amazing verse. It's talking about the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet. you got seven seals. The first four have already been warped, and the first four seals have already been accomplished. The very next seal that we're going to see soon will be the fifth seal, and that's the Great Tribulation. Actually, the Bible calls it the Day of the Lord. And that will last three and a half years, not seven, but three and a half years. And the sixth seal will eventually, sometime or another, be opened, which is the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened. The moon will look like blood. The moon will be red, not the same type of red that you see at these eclipses, but a different type of red. And the sun will be darkened and the stars will fall from heaven, meaning there will be meteors, many meteors, after meteor after meteor, crashing down to the earth. And it has nothing to do with nebula, has nothing to do with planet X, which is a ridiculous, ridiculous lie. There is such a thing as fake news, and I don't like it, and I don't embrace it. There is such a thing as fake news. And stupidity. I'm sorry, but I just have to say it the way it is. I'm not here to sugarcoat things or to make friends. But I'm here to say it the way it is. This has nothing to do with some kind of stupid planet X. It has everything to do with the power of God. Amen. It has everything to do with the power of of God. And it says that there will be people dying, perishing in Syria, in Assyria. Talking about people being tortured to death, people being beheaded, people dying at the hand of the president of Syria in our day, in our time, just before Jesus comes back. This is opposite of a pre-trib rapture. and who are scattered in the land of Egypt. But these people, when that trumpet are blown, they're going to come and worship Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14 talks about this. This verse directly, directly refers to Zechariah 14, where it says that when Jesus comes back with his saints, and lands on the Mount of Olives, not, he ain't going to land on the Temple Mount. Because the Temple Mount is the Assyrian, Roman, which is Assyrian, fortress. Jesus said not one stone would be left upon another. That welling wall that they first, first, I can say the word right, thrust. 
these Jewish Satan worshippers go to that welling wall and they first say it again thrust their pelvis up and down, back and forth against that wall and have sex with that wall. That's what they do. I have to say it the way it is. You can watch videos of it on YouTube. That wall is not the temple. It is a Syrian wall, a Syrian fortress that was built by Antiochus. And it is worship, sexual worship of the president of Syria. Jesus ain't coming back there. Zechariah 14 says he shall land on the Mount of Olives. Not on the Temple Mount. That thing is dirty. He's coming back on the Mount of Olives. Where Jesus preached Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. That's where he preached those chapters at. And we are going to come and worship Jesus at the Fiesta of Tabernacles. And there will be singing and a dancing and a singing and a dancing. Eliluji. It's your Eliluji stand because there's going to be a time when you will be shouting it in heaven, according to Revelation 19. Eliluji. And we will be shouting it at the Fiesta of Tabernacles in Jerusalem in that day and that time. So if you think you don't have to keep the holy days, if you think that's a Jewish thing, you're sadly mistaken. Because it's not a Jewish thing, it's a God thing. It's a Jesus thing. Jesus said, these are my days. These are my appointed times. Moses didn't say that. Jesus said it. It was Jesus at the burning bush. It was Jesus that led him across the Red Sea in the pillar of fire and the cloud. It was Jesus. We only serve one God. There's not two, there's not three, there's not four, there's not five, there's not a hundred. There's only one God, and he's still alive today, and he will again lead his people by far and by cloud, and some of them even across the water on dry land. It will happen again. God is the God of miracles. And he will come to deliver his people out of Assyria, which is still standing today. Amen. God is great. We're in Isaiah. So let me give you one last verse. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Verse 25. Verse 25. Well, look at verse 24. Isaiah 65, verse 24. It will, not maybe, it will also come to pass that before they call, before they speak, I will answer. Amen. Praise the Lord. And while they are still speaking, I will hear them. And the wolf and the lamb will graze together. They will be animals in the kingdom of God. Even wolves, even lambs will graze the grass together. And the lion, kitty kitty, will eat straw like the ox. 
and dust will be the serpent's food. What that means is there will even be snakes in the kingdom of God, but the snakes will no longer bite people. And the snakes will no longer eat rabbits. And the, rab- and the snakes will no longer eat mice. But the snakes will actually literally be eating dust, like a worm does. Worms eat dirt. And a snake is really just a big worm, in a way. And the snakes will be eating dirt in that day and that time in the kingdom of God. Unless this is only symbolic, but I believe it may be literal about the dust, that is. Either way, there will be lions and lambs and snakes and wolves in the kingdom of God, but none of of them will hurt anything. The wolves would no longer be eating the chickens and the sheep. Thank God there would no longer be a wolf in sheep clothing because all those people are going to burn, be annihilated and wiped out of existence by the lake of fire, which is God himself. The lake of fire that they call hell is God himself. The Bible says that he is a consuming fire. It says that over and over. Says it in many different ways. Amen. But the wicked will not stand. The wicked will melt away. The wicked shall consume away in the smoke and be no more. Psalms chapter 37. Psalms 37. That the wicked shall consume away into smoke and be no more. They're not going to live forever and ever and ever in torture. God is not the God of torture. Amen. But the wicked will die the second death. And that's what the Bible says. It calls it the second death. They will die. It's not just separation from God. Come on now. Come out of the Assyrian doctrines. If you look at the history and the origin of an eternal burning hell that where people are constantly screaming and crying in hell forever and ever and ever and ever, ever, ever die, that came from Assyria. Christmas came from Assyria. Easter came from Assyria. Three gods came from Assyria. The Trinity Doctrine. All this came from Assyria. The Star of David came from Assyria. The name Yahshua and Yahweh came from Assyria. Come out of the doctrines of man. Test yourself. Examine yourself. And say some bold prayers. Amen. Because God wants boldness, not weakness. God is the source of our joy, our comfort, our peace, our protection. Now, your homework is, if you want to write down the book of Psalms, chapter 78, Psalms, chapter 78, and especially verses 9 to 32. Psalm 78, verse 9 to 32. I invite you to listen again next week. We're here every uh, seventh day 
which they call Sarity, which that name originates in Assyria as well, but we have to call it, the names by the vocabulary that they use today or else they don't know what you're talking about. But we're here every Saturday, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, if you've not yet purchased or requested an Alpha and Omega Bible, I really encourage you to do so. God knows that I'm not trying to make any money on these Bibles. And that is why I have set the royalties and the prices at the lowest possible price that I possibly could uh, allowed by the printers. Because the printer has to buy the ink. The printer has to buy the paper. The printer has to mail them to me. They have to mail them to you. The printer wants to make some money on them as well. The printer wants to make a profit. But I do not want to make a profit. So... I give you a 49% off coupon, 49%. You know what that 49% is? My profit. I'm giving it to you. And so uh, I think it's like um, 10 cent, 16 cent. It's different. It's in three volumes, uh, Old Testament, Apotheca, New Testament. You have to get it in three volumes. Of course, you could order just one or two volumes at a time if needed. But I really encourage you to get all three volumes of Old Testament, Apostle, and New Testament. And I get, and this is a disclosure, that I only get like 16 cents per copy that is sold from uh, one of them, like 10 cents or 6 cents or something like that for the other volumes if you buy it from Creative Space and use the 49% off coupon, which is what I'm encouraging people to do. Now, if you don't use the coupon, or if you get it from Amazon or Books A Million or Barnes & Noble's websites, then, yeah, I do get a few dollars because you're not using the 49% off coupon. But when I get that money, it's going to go right back. God knows, and my wife knows, that it goes right back into the ministry to give out free Bibles all around the world. Well, maybe not all around the world, but wherever people ask around the world. And uh, to put them in the libraries and thrift stores and wherever I can find to give out the Bibles for free. So the money, any money that I will receive goes back into the ministry. I'm not trying to make any profit. And the only reason that I'm allowing it to be sold on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and everything is only to get it out there to the people because we have to face the facts of reality that a lot of people never heard of this ministry. If I want this translation of the Bible to reach the people, it's got to be on Amazon. It's got to be on Barnes & Noble because that is the only way I know of reaching the people all across the world and getting this Bible translation into their hands, which is of extreme, extreme importance, extreme importance to get this Bible into the people's hands. Because the fact is, if you do your own research, the fact is, un, undisputed fact, documented fact, undeniable fact, 
that the words the Lord in the Old Testament be placed. Replace the name of God. When you see the word the Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament, undisputable, undeniable fact. It replaced the name of God. And God wants his name back in the Bible. And it's not Yahshua. It's not Yahweh and it's not Jehovah. It is G. And Jesus came in his Father's name and the angels said Jesus is God with us. Meaning G with us. Jesus. He came in his Father's name and his name is Jesus. And Jesus said that not one jot, and jot is the Hebrew word for the J sound, that not one jot will pass from the law and the prophets till heaven and earth pass away. Now, yes, they took out his name, but the J sound still existed on earth, and it does to this day, despite the Assyrian assault against the church, against even though the Assyrian army and the Assyrian religion of the Catholic Church and the Assyrian Greeks and the Assyrian Alexander the Great and the Assyrian, all of them, have come against the J sound and the J name of Jesus Christ, it still exists today. And so the gates of the grave and the gates of hell and the gates of all these Assyrian stuff and this Assyrian statue that Daniel saw, it is not going to prevail against Jesus Christ, against his holy mountain, against his people and his church. They may kill us, they may slander us, they may spit in our face, but we will not reject the name of Jesus. And these people that are trying to get you to deny the name of Jesus and denounce the Jesus and come against Jesus' name, they are of Satan the devil. They are of Satan the devil. Let no one, let no one turn you against Jesus. Don't you ever denounce Jesus' name, no matter what. If they come with you with a sword or a gun or with a torture chamber or with a flame, do not denounce the name of Jesus. Don't do it. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4, verse 12. Acts 4, verse 12. He is our rock, our hiding place, our refuge, our joy, and our strength. I believe in him. Do you? Amen. Praise God. All this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. On Christ alone, I stand. On Christ the solid rock, I stand. Please meet us back here next week. And then the week after that is Hanukkah. And we will be celebrating celebrating Hanukkah because it is a meaning, spiritual meaning, significant meaning of victory against the president of Syria and victory against Russia, and victory against China, and victory against all of our enemies, but especially victory against Assad, Hanukkah, a celebration of victory against our enemies. In Jesus' name, that's two weeks from now. All this in Jesus' name, amen.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.